0: James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effect of prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins.
1: Well, I'd like to go on this morning looking at this subject of miraculous healing, which is what we're dealing with here in this section in James, chapter 5. I think I should let you know that not all evangelical commentators actually think that this is what James is speaking of in this section. Uh, for instance, John MacArthur, very good Bible teacher, holds that this section has to do with restoring a spiritually weak brother or sister. Now MacArthur does believe that God can still heal people, but he doesn't think that this section deals with that, he thinks it deals with spiritual healing. And it is true that the word sick used in these verses is a Greek word for weakness. It doesn't necessarily mean physically sick. So you have to determine by the context uh, how you understand that word weakness. If the writer's talking about a physical problem or a spiritual problem, or maybe both. MacArthur thinks that the context, which is persecution, we've brought that out a number of times as we've looked through the letter, the idea of the saints being worn down by persecution. And this was what was... Making the saints, some of them anyway, to be in a position of such spiritual weakness that they needed to call for the elders to pray for them, that they might be lifted up and uh, restored again to spiritual health. And there's some merit to what he's saying. I I don't uh, say that it's uh, some uh, some outlandish interpretation. Uh, the pr- the. Problem that I see, and the reason that I don't think this interpretation is correct, is that there would be no need for anointing with oil, uh, which at that time was used for medicinal purposes. But as we said before, it it, uh, was something that symbolized that uh, this person was being set apart, especially for healing, in the name of the Lord. And the reason we know that that's one of the ways that oil was used. Uh, in relationship to physical healing is in Mark chapter six, verse 13, where the disciples were obviously dealing with physical healing. If you want to look that up sometime you can, Mark 6:13, it 's obviously physical healing that was being dealt with there. So I take the position that James is referring to miraculous physical healing in this section. Though, of course, the spiritual help would be involved in that also. i not making a total distinction here. So I just wanted to say that to say that there are good commentators that don't take the position that I'm taking. Um, just a little review. I prefaced my remarks last time by saying that there is actually a wide diversity of uh, opinion concerning this subject goes all the way from saying that miraculous healings virtually stopped at the time of the apostles to the opinion opinion that miraculous healings are always available for those in Christ today. Uh, And, of course, there are many Christians who hold views somewhere between those two extremes, and they're unsure exactly what the Bible does teach. I also said that there are two things that I didn't want to do. And I want to restate that again. First is, I don't want to foster any kind of unbiblical expectation, causing people to believe something that really is not biblical. On the other hand, I don't want to foster any unbelief in God's Word, causing people to doubt what God actually wants us to believe. In other words, I don't want to raise false hopes or stifle any truly biblical hope that people might have in this area of healing the main points that we made last time and really you have to listen to these two messages together to get uh, a better idea of of the position that uh, I think the, the Bible presents but I just want to hit some of the high points from last time first of all I said that God is sovereign in this area of healing he's the one that decides who will be healed and who's not to be healed It's wrong to teach that uh, if a person has enough faith, they'll always be healed. That's one of the things that's um, being taught today in this Word of Faith movement. And it's a very devastating teaching because uh, that puts all the emphasis back on the the sick person, the ones who's already afflicted, saying, well, if you're not better, it's your fault, basically, because you don't have enough faith. So, the fact is that in this present age, though the kingdom of God has been initiated, and often it comes with some miraculous signs and wonders, it is not yet consummated. And there are many situations where God still perfects even His choicest servants through suffering. That's just the reality of the situation that we live in. He still perfects even some of His best servants through suffering. And we might know that because that was the case with his own son. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 5. Bodily healing for all of God's children will only be a reality when Christ comes again and we experience the resurrection of the body we also mentioned that in one sense all sickness has its origin in sin because human suffering stems from the fall of mankind but that does not mean that every sickness is a result of specific personal sins in the life of the one afflicted our texts tells us today it says if he has sinned if he has committed sin they will be forgiven so the sickness and the relationship to sin here is not a one-to-one relationship if they've committed sins they will be forgiven but it's not always the case that there's any particular sin involved in a sickness that a person has whatever the case James tells us that the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. We took some time to try to explain this prayer of faith. We said it involves a God given insight into what God intends to do. It's a supernatural faith given when God intends to give a supernatural healing. It's a prayer that was initiated in heaven before it was ever prayed on earth. It's much more than just a fervent emotion of wanting somebody to be healed. I, I have mistaken that in the past in my own life. I felt so strongly that this person should be healed that I took that as God telling me the person would be healed. And I was wrong. So it's much more than just a fervent emotion for wanting to see someone healed. Or even believing that God can heal a person in a particular situation. It's a revelation that God will heal in response to our asking. And then we ended last time by saying that God has far more to consider when He's healing a sickness or not healing a sickness than just that individual situation. He sees the eternal picture. All of His creation, which we can't. We don't see the big picture. It would almost always seem to us that a person should be healed. We can't always see, we usually can't see the really big picture and what it would involve to bring healing or not healing in a certain situation. We should always rest in the sovereign good purpose of our loving Father that's always the bottom line when I say the sovereign good purpose I, I think we should underline the sovereign good purpose uh, when we say God's sovereign we're not saying he's capricious in this he has good reasons for healing or not healing even, those re- even though those reasons may be a mystery to us You know, even how our prayers interact with the sovereign purposes of God has a lot of mystery to it. You start trying to figure that out. But we know that we're encouraged to pray. The Bible over and over. God tells us He's sovereign. He also tells us to pray. Over and over through the Scriptures. To pray and to pray and to keep on praying. And that's the point of this section. Pray when you're suffering. Pray when you're cheerful. Pray when you're sick. Pray for yourself. Call for the elders to pray for you. Pray for one another. The point is pray. Pray. Keep on praying. Though there is mystery involved in why God heals in certain situations and not others, I do think that there are some general truths that can help us in our thinking on this subject. And I think these truths can be grouped under two headings, two main headings. First of all, our responsibility. And secondly, God's sovereignty. I want to start then by looking at our responsibility. First and foremost, we have a responsibility to trust God. Have faith in God. We have to believe Him and trust His Word. As we brought out last time, sometimes, now underline, sometimes, sometimes healing does not take place because of the absence of faith. We stress that this does not mean that every time someone is not healed it's because of insufficient faith. But faith is definitely linked to healing in many cases in the New Testament. For instance, you hear this phrase in a number of places, Be it done to you according to your faith. Or, your faith has made you well. Jesus said that a number of times. Or Paul looked at a certain situation and he's seeing their faith, seeing that they had faith to be made well. So faith... There's no question there's a a link here between faith and healing. Though the prayer of faith, like we were talking about, is a sovereign gift from God, we are still responsible to trust God to do what He deems best in every situation. We're responsible to trust God. Actually, the person that can truly pray Thy will be done. I mean truly pray that is exercising great faith. He's exercising faith in the loving character of God. You're trusting that God knows better in this situation than you do. And you're putting your trust in what He will do in that situation. To pray that way is not a sign of doubt or unbelief, but a humble recognition of our inability to know the mind of God in a particular situation and a determination to trust that he will do what is right and best. See, some people in this word of faith type movement say, well, if you pray, thy will be done, that means you just don't believe God. It's it's ridiculous. That may be a much, much more trusting attitude than what's being uh, put forth in some of these uh, name it and claim it type prayers. So, we're talking about our responsibility, and our responsibility is to believe God. But, when I speak of faith being a responsibility, there is a danger. The danger is that we begin to look at our faith and not at Christ. It's a misunderstanding of faith if we have any confidence in the power of our believing, faith is not a power in us. The power is in Him. Faith is the empty hand grasping on to that power, asking God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. If we're talking, if we're not understanding faith rightly, we we we'll get all messed up in this area of thinking about our responsibility of of believing God. We're not talking about faith in our faith because that's not faith in Christ. Faith in our faith is not faith in Christ. Faith comes by seeing Christ and you don't do that by looking at your faith. Now, here's another area, and this is a little bit harder to see, but I think it's important. Nor, when we're talking about having faith, we're not even speaking of somehow trying to willfully suppress any mental doubts we might have concerning God's desire to heal in a particular situation. We're not trying to suppress these doubts, willfully suppress doubts or making some kind of positive confession of healing when there's no evidence of healing. Such attitudes can easily lead to the fear of acknowledging the real situation or our real thoughts. Somehow being afraid that if we're honest with God, He might hold our doubts against us. Denying obvious symptoms, which is often done. I'm hitting on things that that are mistakes related to faith. Denying obvious symptoms and confessing you're healed is not faith. It's foolishness and dishonesty. As Elizabeth Elliot says... It is not a very robust faith which in order to survive must distort or ignore the facts. <laughs> God desires truth in the inner man. An honest an honest acknowledgement of reality that's involved in faith. Better a humble prayer Like the man in Mark 9.24 who desired healing for his son, he said to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief, much better that honest acknowledgement than the proud and presumptuous proclamations of the word of faith promoters. So, faith. Next area then of our responsibility in praying for healing has to do with sin. Now we've said that not everyone who is sick is being chastened for a particular sin. Nevertheless, this passage in James makes a link between confession of sin and healing. It's very obvious. James says, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So it is possible that in some cases It may be a lack of confession and repentance that's hindering healing. I'm saying this is possible. It may be in this area of sin, and uh, unconfessed sin and repentance. Now again, we have to be very careful about how we teach this. It does not mean that we must go to someone and confess every sin we've committed Say we're sick in a certain area and really desire to be healed. That doesn't mean you have to go to somebody and confess every sin that you've ever committed. Uh, Or that we must confess our sins to everybody. That's not what he's talking about either. If we have obviously sinned against someone and they know of it, We should confess this to them and ask for forgiveness. I mean, that's taught in many places. Whether you're sick or not, that should be the case. But I said, obviously. We've obviously sinned. Because we can get pushed by Satan in this area. Something like, you know, I think I had a bad thought about that person a year ago. I better go confess that if I want to get right. Right. Satan will do that kind of stuff. Those types of confession do more harm than good. Nevertheless, we must be willing to confess known, clear sin. That's what we're talking about here. I think that's what James was talking about. So that we can be forgiven and relationships can be restored and any sickness related to that sin might be healed. So again, I want to stress it's not necessarily unconfessed sin holding back healing, but this is a possibility. So especially if God clearly convicts you concerning some specific sin that you should confess, one that there's a real burden of guilt about, you should, you should confess that. I guess the best way to say it is we should seek God's clear guidance as to when to confess to others that's appropriate when we really should do that the reason I'm stressing this is there's some groups that just make a, a point of saying you have to confess every, every sin to somebody You know, well you have to confess your sins to God for sure and people that you've harmed known obvious sin where a relationship is involved but that's different than, than saying we have to confess every sin to someone. That's I'm trying to avoid the extreme on that. So, that's the next area of responsibility sin and repentance. Let me go on from there. This one may seem so simple that we'd overlook it if we weren't really thinking. We need to ask. We, are, we have a responsibility to ask God. Uh, James said earlier, "If you have not. You have not because you ask not. That could be one of the reasons a person didn't heal. They just haven't asked. God wants us to ask Him so that He can be glorified in the answering. And in our section here, there's another responsibility for the sick person. They're responsible to call for the elders. That's not the elder's responsibility. I'm not supposed to come to the sick person and say, you should be calling for me. They need to ask the elder or the elders. It's not something the elder should initiate. So it may be, at least in some situations, healing does not happen simply because we have not asked. Another area of responsibility has to do with staying away from false religion and foolish and false interpretations of the Bible. That's our responsibility. Stay away from false religious teachings in this area and false and foolish interpretations of the Bible. Now this is similar to what we have said before concerning some of this faith healing healing movement and word of faith things. But I separated it here because I want us to think about it in a little more uh, depth. God is not obligated to answer prayer, even sincere prayer, which is based on wrong interpretations of His word. A.W. Tozer says, faith is good only when it engages truth. When it is made to rest upon falsehood, it can and often does lead to tragedy. We see some of that. We well, see a lot of that all around the world. False faith. People in dire need putting their faith in the wrong place. I'll give you an extreme example. If I become part of a group of professing Christians who think that they can take up deadly serpents and not be harmed, and I get bit and get sick, God does not have to heal me because of my supposed trust in the Scriptures that talk about picking up deadly serpents. I had a wrong theology, a bad theology, And consequently, I'm suffering. Again, God is not obligated to answer prayer, even sincere prayer, which is based on wrong interpretations of His Word. Now, admittedly, that was an uncommon example. But there are other forms of foolishness and false religion that are much more common. There are thousands of medically unsound and spiritually suspect treatments that desperately sick people put their hope in, which God is not going to bless no matter how sincere the patient or the practitioner. Actually, a lot of these practitioners are charlatans anyway. They're fakes. They're frauds. But some of them are sincerely misled When I speak of something being spiritually suspect, I mean there is a suppo- supposedly some, behind this form of healing, this form of help for the sick person, there's, sp- there's some spiritual power or energy other than the God of the Bible. These things are common today. And there's lots of people in this New Age holistic health type practice and movement. And a lot of that has its origin in Eastern religion, false religion, and the occult. Even more deceptive for the Christian is when the Bible is used in ways that are false. You have a whole group of people called Christian scientists... They're not, they're not Christian and they're not scientists so it's kind of a strange name uh, who refuse medical treatment because of wrong views of evil and suffering. You have other professing Christian groups that refuse blood transfusion and refuse established medical treatment for their children saying they're relying on the power of prayer or on some faith healer. And you have a lot of Children that die you can you can find incredible amount of examples of that. Uh, if you just look it up on the internet. I had a an article that hadn't fallen out of my Bible here. I just cut out of the paper a few days ago. Here it is. Tennessee Supreme Court hears faith healing case, and I won't go into, well, they don't have a lot of details here, but the eastern Tennessee woman is convicted of child neglect in her teenage daughter's cancer death, is asking the state Supreme Court to declare her innocent because she relied on prayer to heal her her girl. This was a 15-year-old girl that had a form of cancer that was uh, treatable, but she wouldn't Allow her to be treated, she was going to pray her to health and she died. Well, that's just you know, you'd have to know more of the details on some of those type things, but what I'm saying is that we have to be really careful in this area and not get involved in false religion and false and foolish interpretations of the Bible. It's not wrong. Scripturally, to desire to regain health that's been lost. We need to keep that in mind. That's not an unspiritual thing. I do think that there are ba- basic order that we should follow in seeking to recover from sickness. I want you to think about this a little bit. And I'm quoting here and referring to a book by a man named Henry Frost. He wrote a book on miraculous healing that I think is quite good. He says this, It is a great principle with God that He allows men in all things to do for themselves and their fellow man what they can do, and usually that He steps in and displaces them only when their ability and power have come to an end. This apparently was the principle that governed Christ In what he did and did not do in the in his earthly acts of healing he allowed the physicians of the day to heal where they could heal and where they tried and failed or where they were in the nature of the case unable to act he demonstrated at such times and places his compassion and deity by healing those who were otherwise incurable So it seems to me that there's this basic biblical order that we should follow for healing which has to do with the nature of the disease and our circumstances. The order would be something like this. Use God-given natural means. Rest, proper diet, change of environment, readily available medication. That's where you start if if you're sick. This would be looking to God-given nat- God natural ability of your body to heal itself. The next step would be to go to the doctors and physicians. That God, in His common grace, He's given us these people. Uh, he's given wisdom and skill to these people to see if they can help us in our healing. Jesus certainly implied the validity of seeking help from physicians when He said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. That was just a principle, you know. You realize a sick person needs a physician often. So, the God-given natural ability of your body to heal itself, looking to physicians, doctors, surgeons, medical profession, lastly, if your illness is of such a nature that these God-given means seems to be valueless, then God may be looked to for miraculous healing in the hope and confidence that He may do what man and natural processes have failed to do or cannot do. See the order. That's what I'm trying to get at here. There's an order here. Progression. All three levels should be undertaken in prayer and faith, realizing that it is God alone who heals. If God uses a doctor to heal you, thank the doctor and praise God. (laughs) The general principle then is to look to what God has given mankind for healing in the natural realm before we look to Him for what what He might do in the supernatural realm. But it's good to remember in this, when we're talking about what, what the first steps, don't be looking to the realm of false religion and false and foolish interpretations of the Bible. We're responsible to stay away from those even as we seek help uh, down on the natural level. What physicians can do, what the body can do in healing itself. So... Lastly, then, in this area of our responsibility, we are called to deal with any demonic involvement. We learn from the Bible that some sickness is the result of demonic influence. We could look up some scriptures on that luke thirteen eleven acts ten thirty eight if you want to write them down, we won't take time now <clears throat> uh, but we also see in the New Testament that Demonic activity is only involved in some sicknesses. There's some people, to, again, I'm, yeah, there's extremes in all this stuff. There's some people that say all sickness is called by, caused by the devil and demons. That's just obviously wrong. One scholar thought that about 10% of the sicknesses described in the New Testament were attributed to demons. I didn't try to figure up any type of percentage, but I know that there's, there's a clear distinction made in the Scriptures between sicknesses involving demonic influence and and what we would call just a regular sickness, uh, illness from other causes. Uh, well, let's look up a couple of these. Matthew uh, 4.23. I haven't looked up many scriptures here. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went out into all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So the point I'm making here is he he's you know there's a distinction between those that are uh having demonic uh involvement and others who have diseases and pains and uh, yet he healed them all uh, s- turn over to chapter 10 <clears throat> verse 1 And having summoned His twelve disciples, He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So, casting out demons and healing disease and sickness. Acts 5.16 And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. So the point I'm making is that there's a clear distinction made between illnesses of demonic origin and illnesses illnesses from other causes. I say all that to say that we have to be careful about the, there's. These things called deliverance ministries uh, that basically see a demon behind every sin and sickness. And so you could go to get delivered from your demon. Uh, have to be leery of that type of thing. Nevertheless, we do recognize that some times demonic involvement must be addressed for healing to take place. So those, those are areas of our responsibility lack of faith, unconfessed sin, failure to ask, false religion and false and foolish interpretations of the Bible and demonic activity are factors when a person may be factors when a person isn't healed. Yet, nice. Yet, not every case of a Christian not being healed falls under these things. Often, the main reason is that God simply has not chosen to heal at that time. So you've got to keep that in mind. Miraculous healing is not normative in our day, nor do I think it ever was. If healings were common, they would cease to be miracles. It does seem to me, though, that there are times and situations where God seems to be pleased to bring supernatural healing more often than other times. So that brings me back, then, to the subject of God's sovereignty. There are times, situations, places where God chooses to heal more often than others. Certain periods in biblical history are associated with more miracles of healing than the other periods of history. These would include the times of of Moses. uh, Think of all that went on, not necessarily in the area of healing, but just the miraculous there of Moses in the time of Pharaoh and uh, leading the people out uh, of Egypt. So the times of Moses, the times of Elijah and Elisha, And of course, the New Testament times of Christ and the apostles. These there's most of the miracles of the Bible are clustered in those those areas. These were times God was showing that His hand was upon these leaders in a special way, and in the case of Christ, of course, in an extraordinary way. Actually, there are more miracles associated miracles of healing associated with Christ's three-year ministry and are recorded in the rest of the Bible related to the prophets and apostles. Why would that be? Well, because he, He's the Son of God, the Messiah. Let me have, refer again to Frost. Christ's miracles had a unique quality because they were designed to prove that He was the promised Messiah. Um, you can read the verses in... Isaiah, for instance, and see how they parallel verses in Matthew. Matthew 8, "...when evening came, they brought him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken in the prophet Isaiah. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases." Then you see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where it says, "...men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles." and wonders and signs which he performed through him in your midst just as you yourself know god was showing this is my son in whom i'm well pleased by all these miracles and, and uh, the healings that he did uh, you know that partly explains the message that jesus sent to john the baptist when he was in prison remember john had some question about are you the one are you the messiah are you the coming one and uh, Jesus sent word back to John. Uh, Jesus answered and said to the, the disciples that John had sent to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So he's saying, Go tell John, I'm doing what the Old Testament said I would do. Do I, I'm healing many people. We know that these healings were acts of compassion towards suffering humanity, but their main purpose was to demonstrate Christ's divinity. So, these these healings were acts of compassion, but more than that, they were Demonstrations of his divinity, of, of the fact that he was the coming, the promised one, the Messiah. Then, as to the apostolic miracles, you know, those that were performed by the apostles, Frost, this man I've been quoting from quite a bit, says, The purpose of Christ in working miracles through the apostles had a twofold objective, namely to con- the continued manifestation of His divine power and goodness, and also the giving of indisputable evidence of the apostles' divine calling and mission. So it was to authenticate the apostles that God had so many um, healings and miracles done by their hands. Paul says concerning his ministry, that the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance, with signs and wonders and miracles. He's saying, you can know that I'm a true apostle because of these miracles I've done, these healings and other miracles. Uh, Acts 5.12 says, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. So Christ gave power to the apostles to perform miracles in order to establish them in the confidence of the pre- people who saw those miracles, that these really were God's representatives, God's authoritative, authoritative spokesmen and messengers. He was establishing these men as one, ones who were His representatives on earth and would be used to write the New Testament by and large. Well, I think that there is—that's uh, part of the reason why we see a lessening of the miraculous after the time of the New Testament Church, because that establishing of the authority of the Apostle uh, Christ and the Apostles uh, is not necessary anymore. Miraculous healings are not as prevalent now because the Apostles of the Class has ceased to exist. God still does miraculous healings in our day and age in certain situations, extraordinary situations. It's not because we're any less spiritual, any less holy. It's just God's sovereign purpose in terms of when He, he determines when and what uh, situations are best to have many healings done or not as many. Uh, So what are some some of the situations where God may yet choose to heal? And again, this is from this man Frost, but I thought these were good. He may possibly choose to do this when the disease is of such a nature as to make all known means valueless. In other words, nothing can be done from man. God may work in that situation. He may choose to heal when it is impossible to secure medical aid, as is sometimes the case on the mission field. There's no possibility of getting to some place where you might get some help, so you can look to God in that type of situation. He may choose to heal when doctors have attempted to bring healing to pass and have failed to do so. He may choose to heal when a servant of God has a divine appointed task set before him, which some ailment hinders his fulfilling, where this task must immediately be performed and where there is neither time nor opportunity to have recourse to usual means. In other words, it's a a situation where God, uh, where a person is pursuing some task that God set before him and sickness or affliction hinders that and there's no possibility of... of, uh, there's not time or opportunity to to look to normal means of healing. He may choose to grant amazing healings to authenticate a new work or a new move of the Spirit, especially in areas where Scriptures are uncirculated or unknown. So, I mean, we've heard of examples of that type of thing. For instance, a number of years back, we had a man named Prim Pradhan that came and spoke to us, and, and God did miraculous healings through him. But it was as he went into Nepal and opened up a new work. God will do that type of thing in, in uh, areas where there's a new move of the Spirit to authenticate a new work. And it may be that some combination of these was the case in this situation that James was writing into. These Jewish Christians who had been scattered by persecution which James was addressing in this letter. The reason I say that is because one of my problems with this section of Scripture dealing with praying for the sick is how are we supposed to apply this to us today, you see? And the problem has to do with the fact that James presents the prayer for healing in such a positive, almost certain manner. Have you noticed that, the way he phrases it? If any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. It's almost like if the elders pray, healing will take place. Now again, we've said that he's speaking of the prayer of faith which is given when God is purposed to heal. But it seems to me that this was almost the expected outcome for those to which James was writing in these early churches. That's the way it sounds. It was just expected that God would heal. prayer of faith will raise him up. And that does seem different than what we are currently experiencing. in that... I mean, we've got to be real on this, right? <laughs> it seems different. There's a different sense about what James is speaking in that situation to what we experience today. God does sometimes grant this prayer of faith, but not on a very regular or maybe I should say not very often at least in terms of what I've experienced now I uh, actually talked with some other pastors on this, but Charles and I have talked We, in fact when when uh, Ryan Fullerton was here we talked with him some and uh, tried to gather you know because I have a limited experience and uh, try to get more feedback on this. But I still feel that there's a difference in what goes on today. If you leave out all the false stuff that goes under healing and just stick with what r- r- seems to be real, there seems to be some difference in the the, the uh, quantity of healing as it's here in James and what we normally experience. The best answer that I see at this point is to say that from the side of God's sovereignty, He's not choosing to grant miraculous healing as much in our day, at least in America, as was the case in the early church. From our side, on the side of our responsibility, we are often simply not in the right spiritual condition to receive this blessing. So some combination of these two surely are involved whether God gives healing or not. But even in that, we often just have to come to the place and say, we may not know, in this life anyway, why sickness is healed or not healed in, in a lot of situations. We just don't know I think it is good to keep in mind that God is just as faithful and loving when He does not heal as when He does. We must believe that if He does not heal, there's a good reason for it. As we said before, there are things that He sees that we don't see. And one of the things that we sometimes don't see as clear as we should is that there are things more important than physical health we, we almost idolize physical health in America I mean if you think about all the gyms and everything all the exercise all the weight loss everything under the sun all the cosmetics I mean we're nuts on the body but God there's some things more important than, than that to God One writer put it this way. He said, Healing the sick is a good thing and we should never cease to pray for it. But often there is a better thing that can only be attained by means of physical weakness. A large part of faith in God is accepting the fact that He knows better than we do what is ultimately good for us. I'm just going to repeat that. A large part of faith in God is accepting the fact that He knows better than we do what is ultimately good for us. More important to God than our physical health is our spiritual holiness. While we live in this corrupt and decaying world, inner and spiritual conformity to the image of Christ will sometimes come at the expense of or at least along with physical deterioration and suffering. That's easy to say. It's a lot harder to go through and make it a reality. As the outer man is decaying, God can be renewing our inner man. And he may use the decaying of the outer man to help us to see more and more of the value and the wonder of what he's doing in the inner man. Here are some thoughts by J.C. Ryle on how sickness can actually help, help people. How sickness can actually help people. Sickness helps remind us of our death. I mean, if you're really sick, that's one thing that comes to mind. This might be the time. Most people live as if they are never going to die. But a heavy illness sometimes goes far to dispel that delusion. (laughs) Time is short. We need to realize that. Sickness can help us, kind of remind us of that. The time is short. A few more sicknesses. A few more funerals, and our own funeral will take place. So sickness can help us realize this. Second, sickness helps us think seriously of God and our souls and the world to come. Most people in days of their health find no time for such thoughts. They dislike them. A severe disease has sometimes a wonderful power of mustering and rallying these thoughts and bringing them up before the eyes of our soul. Just, I have eternity before me. God, my soul, the world to come. Sickness can, a serious sickness can help us in real life, thinking about this. Sickness helps humble us. Sickness is often one of the most humbling and distressing trials that can come upon a person. We are all prone to be proud and high-minded. A sick bed is a mighty tamer of these thoughts. Kings and subjects, masters and servants, rich and poor, are all dying creatures and will soon stand side by side at the judgment bar of God. I thought this was quite a phrase, in the sight of the coffin and the grave, it's not easy to be proud. Surely anything that teaches us this lesson of humility is good. Sickness helps to try a person's religion of what sort it is. There are not many on earth that have no religion at all, yet few have a religion that will bear inspection Many a creed looks well on the smooth waters of health which turns out to be utterly unsound and useless on the rough waves of a sickbed surely anything that finds us out that finds out the real character of our faith is a good thing sickness helps us to be more sympathetic towards the weaknesses and afflictions of others One aspect of the incarnation had to do with Christ being made like us so that we could realize that He could truly sympathize with our weaknesses. And sickness can help us sympathize with others that are weak and frail. In a world full of sickness and disease, we ought to bear one another's burdens and be kind to one another. Sickness can help us to be mindful of this. Most of all, if God sends sickness into our lives, we should realize that He can use it to make us more Christ-like. Sickness and suffering make believers more like their Lord in experience than health does because He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And Ryle says, None have such an opportunity of learning the mind of a suffering Savior as a suffering disciple. Well, you might ask then, since sickness can have these sanctifying effects in our lives, does that mean we should stop praying for healing? I mean, if God's going to use sickness to sanctify us, maybe we should just say, All right. That's no more praying. I'll just go with that. Well, I think we should continue to pray for healing unless God makes it clear that it's not His will. If we have an ongoing sickness, there's nothing wrong with continuing to come to God and asking for healing. Unless He shows you specific, like like He did Paul with that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was that uh, God was not going to take it away. So keep on praying until God makes it clear that that's not His will. He may, well, it may be that He wants to teach us and sanctify us through sickness and then grant healing. Maybe Maybe that first time He prayed wasn't the right time. Maybe there's something else yet to learn through the sickness so keep on praying and looking to him for whatever he wills to do I mean the the verses here that follow we haven't really gotten to them yet And but the idea what uh, James is saying here is that the fervent persistent prayer of a child of God can accomplish much We're just, he says you know Elijah was a man of like nature and ours, as ours. He was very much like us. And yet, God moved miraculously through his prayers. So keep on praying. God remains Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. God, our healer. Well, um, I got a little bit longer than maybe what I should have, but I wanted to get all those thoughts in at one time. I hope that it was uh, helpful in some ways to you. I do. I, I'm sure that there's much more for us to learn about God's way, God's ways in this area of miraculous healing. of this we can be absolutely sure in sickness or in health his grace is sufficient so may he guide us in understanding this matter of miraculous healing